episode number 171 and a half. My name is John Morgan. Cold coffee is pretty much fast asleep at this point. It's 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 four o'clock in the morning, I'm not gonna lie. Uh Cold Coffee had to go back to his house and uh it's been a long, long, long international fight week. And poor cold coffee was like, please, John Morgan, let me get some sleep. And I said, Well, of course, my friend, you gotta handle your business. But that didn't stop the MMA Roadshow. No, sir, because the great Simon Head is in the house on what is an absolutely marathon assignment. How are you doing, brother? I'm doing just about. I'm, I've been up for <laughs> just about 24 hours now. Um, I was up for one championship at 4 a.m. I suppose it's yesterday now. That's right. Um, then we had... England versus Sweden in the World Cup. It's coming home, by the way, John. Just sort of mentioned that. Um, and then uh, I, I sort of catnapped briefly before we went out for uh, UFC 226. And uh, yeah, it's been it's been a hectic week, and it's been an even more hectic day. Normally, fight day, you think, oh, you know, it's not so bad. You don't have, you know, most of the hard work is done. That's right. But. For me, to, today has been a, a bit of a crippler, but it's been it's, it's it's been it's been good. It's been good, and I've I've survived, which which was the you know the object of the exercise. That's so. it, man. Well, you deserve all the respect in the world, my friend. So I appreciate you jumping off of this little and a half expedition that we're going through. Fortunately, we did get a little shot in the arm. We did get a little bit of adrenaline at the end of International Fight Week with the close of UFC 226, Miocic or Miocic, depending on who you're talking to versus Cormier. Uh, fantastic card, top to bottom. It really was. And we'll talk about a little of all of it. But you have to start the conversation with the main event. Daniel Cormier, your newest champ champ. Your newest champ champ. Went out there in phenomenal fashion and knocked out Stipe in the first round. Four minutes and 33 seconds. And oh my God. I'm, I'm telling you what. No joke. No joke. I, mean, I think we were all in shock a little bit, right? I mean, the, 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 the feeling that went through the T-Mobile arena was insane. And, you know, I'm typing, I'm tweeting, I'm getting everything done. But there was one moment, that, really funny. Uh, once I had finally gotten some tweets sent, I had gotten my play-by-play updated, where I just sat back on press row and I was like, Oh, I, I, this was one of those moments. At me, as many fight cards as I've been to, as many whatever I've seen, you're just like, oh, my God. Not that we didn't think Daniel Cormier could win the fight. Of course we thought Daniel Cormier could win the fight. I didn't pick him to win the fight. I didn't think it would be like this. Uh, and that was what was so shocking about it was the way he won it. But it was funny. I finally caught my breath, and I looked up from press row, and Joe Rogan like, kind of happened to be looking around at the same time. And we kind of made eye contact, and I think he was having that same, like, heart palpitations, what the hell is going on. And we both just it, – it was it was hilarious because literally we're making eye contact, and, and in unison we both mouth – I mean, we can't hear each other. It's too loud, but we both mouth, what the fuck? I mean, it was so crazy. Yeah, I had a Joe Rogan uh, interaction as well. After you – you you managed to take off from press row a little bit faster than me uh, to uh, to get to the press conference. I'm still packing up. Joe actually came round, 
and walked along Press Row and I think there was me and Kevin Ioli and a couple of other guys were still sort of packing up. And he just walked past with that sort of surprise look that Joe sometimes does and he looked at us and went, what the fuck, gentlemen? <laughs> <laughs> and we all, we all as, as one just went like this, just sort of shrugged our hands and, and shrugged our shoulders. It was, it was that kind of night. It was that kind of night, and uh, in many ways, it's been that kind of week. You know, from losing Max Holloway early on, you know, the the uh, apparent curse on International Fight Week. Um, how would the how would Fight Night actually go? Um, and when Dana White got up on the dais uh, tonight for the press conference, you know, that was a happy Dana White who got up there and spoke to the you know spoke to the members of the press today because for all of the turmoil that happened earlier in the week. What we actually got on fight night was an event that, that we could look back on and go, do you know what? That was a pretty damn good night. There was. was there was one notable exception, which I'm sure we'll get to. But that aside, we had... I'm not sure what you're talking about, so I don't know if we'll talk uh, about it Yeah, or not. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll, 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 re- I'll refresh your memory. But I mean, okay, it, was, okay. it, was, it, was, it was an incredible night. And as you say, I mean, I think everybody going into that fight had a huge amount of respect for both of the guys in that, in sure. that main event title fight. Both... Excellent fighters and excellent people as well. Um, and I, I put on my Instagram actually tonight saying the good guy would have won whatever the, the outcome of that That's fight true. would have been. You know, you would have been happy for whoever won. Great way won. to say it. Great way to say and, it. And, uh, but the fact that it was Cormier and the fact that, you know, the the history he was chasing and, and the fact that, you know, the odds were against him, the size was against him. Miocic had this incredible winning streak, record-breaking heavyweight champion of the world. And Cormier, let's, let's be honest, he's coming to the end of his career as well. Um, for him to go out there and produce the performance that he did, I, I've got nothing but respect for the guy. Just like you, I picked Stipe for that fight. Yeah. Uh, I didn't think that Cormier could knock him out. I didn't um, But there we go, he did. And he, he did it. He he told us, uh, if you remember the open workouts, where he, he said his little speech about... Um, the odds and saying the only way that I can lose this fight is if, or so the only way Stipe can win is to knock me out. But what he also said was, and you know, the fact that Stipe does his best work up close is going to be good for me. And that, that line, you go back and find it in, 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 in a media scrum. And that proved to be very prophetic because that is exactly how he won the fight. That is a a great point because it's not like he's just going to just straight, land from range i mean he does work inside all right okay let's talk about it. this thing this thing starts out right um history is going to show that daniel cormier knocked out stipe in the first round as the fight was unfolding i will say i was a little concerned for cormier early on i i, I you know i i thought that stipe was walking him down i thought that oh my gosh daniel cormier does not want to be fighting on the outside he does not want to have his back up against the cage the whole time and it looked like, you know, some of the shots that, that Cormier was landing weren't really bothering Stipe at all. Now, physically, you could see it. I was actually quite surprised to see how much Stipe was marking up on his face very early on. I mean, you could see the damage visually, but I didn't see Stipe seemingly rocked. It didn't seem like he was staggering or, or, or stepping back. And, and instead, it seemed like uh, Stipe was moving forward, attacking and, and cutting off the cage and doing a fantastic job. So early on, I thought, oh, my God, this is – I honestly thought – I thought Cormier might get knocked out in the first round, to be honest with you. I, yeah. I did not think it looked good playing out. But I guess as it turns out, you know, Cormier told us after the fact, he said, look, I, you know, not that I was playing possum, but we kind of wanted him to come to us, you know, 
because I guess we all did think if DC is going to win this fight, he's going to have to be pressure. He's going to have to be relentless. He's going to have to be forward movement. And instead, he he said, "Nah, we we kind of went the other way." It was interesting. Anybody go back and watch the footage of the post-fight press conference and when that question was asked. It was quite late on. I think it was Mark Ramundi who was sat next to me, specifically asked him about that, and a small grin appeared on DC's face as if to say, "You got it. Mm-hmm. You you worked out what it was." And then and then obviously explained it. That was that was the plan all along. And like you, when I was watching the fight, I thought, "Okay, this is all going very nicely for Stipe." He was he was winning the striking exchanges. He was landing from range, and he even took DC down at one point. And I thought to myself, okay, he's proved a little point here that this isn't going to be a one-sided grind fest, if you like, from 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 Cormier, who had pre-fight had threatened to just take him down and and smother him and smash him smash him while 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 on the mat for 25 minutes. Stipe took him down, and I, I thought to myself, okay, he's proved a point. This is all going in one direction here. But then DC and Stipe started to trade in the middle of the cage. Then the clinch happened. Mm-hmm. And then it was he hadn't even got out of the clinch. He was just in the process of just separating enough. Um, he, he threw that short right hook. He was actually too close to throw an elbow because you couldn't have got, brought the elbow around. Yep. It was a short right. It landed probably just, just above and behind the ear. Um and when you get caught there, then, you know, especially for the guy with that much power, 246 pounds or whatever he weighed on fight night, there's a lot of talk gone into that. And and down he goes. And, and you know, Stipe Miocic, Francis Naganu, Derek Lewis, whoever it is, if you get hit there hard enough, you're going to go down. And, and and unfortunately for Stipe, that meant the end of his, his heavyweight title reign. But amazing, amazing achievement for Daniel Cormier. And... Uh, you know, something that really struck me was he talked about the fact he's 39 years of age and he said, I've come second an awful lot in my life. Um, and today I'm on top of the world sort of thing. And, and uh, it was a great, I think, I think he said it was the greatest achievement of his career. And it was, it was, it was, a, it was a genuinely touching moment. And then things escalated after that. <laughs> well, we'll definitely get to that. Uh, let's talk about the touching moment first because I agree you know, wh- whatever you think about DC, and he has been kind of a polarizing figure. I mean, he's one of the nicest, most genuine, most well-spoken uh, dudes in the sport. You know what I mean? It's just uh, love talking fights with him, love talking everything about the game with him, man. He, he is fantastic. But, you know, there are he's had haters along the way, and I'm, I'm sure a lot of those haters are John Jones fans and, and whatever else. But I don't know, to me... I mean, the finish was unexpected. Not that the victory was impossible, but the, the, the finish was unexpected the way it happened. And then you start to realize, and he mentioned it too at the post-fight press conference where he said, you know, like, I, th- this to me is a moment where you can't doubt him anymore. You can say what you want, you know, but, you know, say what you will about John Jones, whether there needs to be asterisks next to those results or not. This is a legitimate result. Stipe Miocic is statistically the most dominant champion. And I say statistically. I guess I don't know how else you'd say it. I mean, the fact that he has more title defenses, that makes him the most dominant champion. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and Cormier got the shot and, and, and knocked him out. You know, not, not had some freak result. Not some bizarre split decision. Not some, you know, Stipe slipped on a banana peel or whatever. This was two legit heavyweights because – 
Cormier is a legit heavyweight. As oh, he yeah. said, he's not a light heavyweight. He's made light heavyweight. You know, but it's 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 very much the way Conor McGregor was a lightweight who found a way to make his way to featherweight. I mean, he looked like Skeletor on the scales. You know, Cormier, as he said, you know, I, I didn't gain forty pounds. Like I walk around two thirty five, two forty. I'm two hundred five for an hour. Yeah, I've just said, found yeah. a way to get to two hundred five for an hour. So I mean, two legit heavyweights, and they're going at it. It to me, this was not Stipe having a bad night. This was not again. You know, he twists an ankle. He uh, this was uh, there, there's no this is just Cormier winning and you can't deny him you can't doubt him you can say what you will about the Jones rivalry and and <coughs> excuse me the conversations about the greatest ever and all these things but you can't deny what he accomplished tonight no and do you know what just just hear just hearing you talking about that now it it, it you might you might not pick this up or it, it it might just be me but for me there was there, there were some similarities there well, then Michael Bisping won the world title insofar as here's a guy who's been on a journey. He's been, he's been knocked back multiple <laughs> times. He got his opportunity and he went in there and he produced a, he, he went in there and produced an outcome that few people expected and he proved the doubters wrong. There's parallels. And granted, there, you know, the circumstances surrounding both were quite different, but in many ways there are, certain, you know, there are quite a lot of parallels there. And, you come away from it going. Nobody said Bisping was going to knock Luke Rockhold out in the first round, except for Bisping, right? right? And 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 it, it for me there are kind of similarities there where I see it. you can come away and and again from a from like a fan perspective, I think people came away from that Bisping Rockhold fight going, "Well done, man, you did it." And I think that's going to be the over the overriding emotion with DC here. Well done, man, you did it. I agree. I I don't see. I, I get it. You don't have to love DC. You don't have to love DC. You can hate them all you want, but I don't see how you take away even if you even if you're the biggest hater of all time of DC, even if you're the biggest John Jones fan of all time, which by the way, John Jones has, still hasn't even tweeted. So I mean, you, you just you can't take away from what DC accomplished tonight. This was special. This was a moment I'll never forget. I mean, this this to me was history, man. It's 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 legitimate real history and it was special. Um DC had a, an extensive uh, time, a d damn near half an hour with the media. We've got the whole thing uh, on our YouTube channel. We've we've got it, uh, and when I say R, I should say the MMA Junkie YouTube channel. Uh, we've got it in some stories on MMA Junkie as well. But um, as the uh, fans of the MMA Roadshow know, I like to trim a little down for it. I don't want to make it sift through all of it. Uh, so I want to set up this uh, Daniel Cormier so you can hear from the champ, champ himself. Uh, I will say it starts in a little bit of odd fashion. So they brought him in, and uh, Mark Raimondi actually, uh, before there was, he didn't have a microphone or anything, but he said, you know, hey, before we get this started, I want to ask Rosindo Sanchez, who is uh, Daniel Cormier's coach, a couple of questions real quick. Uh, because Rosindo, uh, if you don't know the name, is the little tiny guy that decided to go in there and shove Brock Lesnar tonight. And uh, basically, um, Mark Raimondi asked about that, and it led to a pretty interesting story, which I didn't realize the parallels because um, last night it was funny. Uh, I was sitting on press row at the Ultimate Fighter 27 finale. You were a couple rows mm -hmm. behind me, um, but the Octagon girls were literally sitting right in front of me, and they were on their phones, as they tend to do during the fights, and they were actually showing myself and Brett Okamoto um, some reports that are coming from Town Square, which is a, a big shopping development right over by the airport about an active shooter situation. Thank God, of course, here in Las Vegas, I mean, 1 October was a horrible situation mm -hmm. here. It, it, and, of course, that brings a lot of emotions, stirs a lot of emotions. 
turned out not to be exactly an active shooter. It was kind of a bizarre situation the way things out. But the parallel here or, or the connection here is crazy is that Daniel Cormier, who famously has big team dinners, uh, you know, talked about it on the Countdown Show. I've seen it firsthand as well. He has big family uh, and team dinners the night before fights. Um, happened to be in the area. And so you're going to hear the way this whole discussion starts out, and that's what you're hearing to uh, to start out with. And uh, and then we'll talk, you know, a little bit about everything that's going on with how the night went and what comes next when the uh, – the mystery guest, Brock Lesnar, that we didn't know was going to be there, stepped into the cage. You know, you guys think Rosendo pushing Brock Lesnar or something. Last night at Town Square, we were at dinner, uh, me and my family. And one of my friends were going to leave to go to a show. And they wouldn't let him out of the restaurant because they said it was an active shooter in the, in the area. So we're all on the ground with our kids and our, my whole family. We're like 60 people in there. And... Uh, some of my sponsors from Oak Grove, some of the guys are like old military guys and FBI Special Forces guys. Bob Cook and Rosendo Sanchez and these guys, they ran towards where the shooters were because they said that they had a lot of them and they would have a chance to try to stop the person before they got to hurting anybody else. So where everybody else was on the floor scared, Bob Rosendo and the rest of those guys ran to exactly where the shooting started and even ran past the police. The police were there. They ran past the police into this arcade where the guy dropped his gun or something. So they, uh, those guys will, will go out there and protect not only me, but my family. And that's more important than anything. So I got guys that work for me and, and fight for me in the gym. But they care about my family, my wife and kids more than anything. And that showed last night that they're real true friends. Well, DC, uh, as incredible as that scene sounds like, uh, it was a pretty incredible scene in there tonight. Yeah. I, I imagine uh, pretty emotional for you overall. I know it's all happening very quickly, but, man, has it set in yet? Give us an idea of what this moment feels like for you. Uh, I can't really uh, explain how it feels right now. It's such a big thing, something that seemed so impossible before. I left the heavyweight division ranked the number two guy in the world, though, and... I didn't get to fulfill my journey in this division because Kane was the champ. And if I had to make that same decision today, I would do the same thing and went down because I would never fight Kane. And I never would have done this tonight without him and all the rest of my training partners. But he's been, what Velasquez has been to me is unbelievable. It's unmatched that he showed me that becoming a champion was possible because he's the first guy from AK to do it. And, uh, told me on numerous occasions that there was no way I could lose this fight tonight. Trained with me tirelessly, uh, put himself on the line, and I really appreciate him for it. He's a great friend. I love that guy. Can you talk about how you felt coming in tonight? Because Dana was here a little earlier, and he said, you know, you were having some back issues in camp. And then he said that, you know, was, you told us you were fine after the fall. He said, yeah, but he had a little bit of leg issue, you know. Yeah. And now we see your, your hand wrapped up there as well, which I'm assuming might have happened in the fight. But how banged up were you? How were you feeling coming into tonight? You know, early in the fight camp, it was the extra weight, right? I usually train about 230, but I was training like 245, 250. So the extra weight was having a toll on my body, trying to uh, train as I want to and carry the extra weight. It was very difficult. And early, I, I hurt myself, and I was out. I called Dana. I was supposed to do an EA Sports deal, and I was like, yo, my back is out. I can't even get off the couch. And um, so I stayed home, and he was like, calling me every like how are you feeling i was like just give me a few days i'll get in the hyperbaric chamber and i'll get back to work uh 
my leg, I fell, I hurt my leg, I had a scratch, it was a little swollen, but whatever, you know. I'm a fighter, man, I'm a grinder. I'll get through whatever I can. I'm 39 years old. Things start to hurt a little bit more as you age. You guys ever think about, like, I'm 39 years old, and I just did this. This is the craziest thing in the world. Can you talk about how the fight was playing out in your mind? Because, I mean, obviously, he's, he's a big guy and hits hard. And he was having some success as well. Yeah, you know, when we fight, we try to get the guy's timing. So that's kind of what I was doing, like seeing how he hit and seeing how fast he was and everything. And, you know, he took me down and he tried to punch me and I was getting up. And, and you know, it, it, all, it all hurts. You know, is a big, strong guy. He's a great champion. But it wasn't anything abnormal. You know, like, I was like, wow, he hits hard, but not abnormally hard. So... When I figured that out, and I kind of got a bit of his timing and kind of figured that it wasn't going to be one punch that kind of slept me, I was like, okay, now I can start to go forward, march into him, and try to get into the clinch. And uh, that's what I started doing, and I started having success there, you know, hitting him with the jab and, and uh, hitting him with a couple right hands. And then uh, early in the fight, we got into a clinch position. And you guys know one of my favorite positions is a collar tie and uppercuts. Well, I'm sure they planned for that. But Rosendo and I have been working on going collar tie, uppercut, and then following it with a right hook. And so after the first one, I think he tried to block the uppercut, but the right hook was coming, and it landed beautifully. Yeah. Last thing for me, I mean, you put this deadline on your career, but you, know, you told Fox that, hey, you might want to defend the light heavyweight title. Dana said he's okay with that plan, you know, while you wait for Brock to be eligible. So lay out for us. I mean, I know this just happened, and you're enjoying the moment, but... Lay out for us the, the fights that are going to happen for you to close your career. I'm going to take some time first. You know, I'm going to go spend some time with my wife, Selena, and my kids. And uh, we're going to go do something and hang out a little bit. And then we'll decide. But um, I'm at a point now where it's going to be very difficult to fight a uh, Curtis Blades uh, or a, uh, you know, I don't even know who's coming up at 205, to be honest with you. I don't really know who. Maybe Gustafson fights well and in uh, August, but last time Gustus and I fought, we made no money. Like, he's got all these fans, but nobody buys pay-per-view. So it's weird. I was like, do you want to go to war and make so much less money? I mean, I fight Brock Lesnar, I'm getting paid. You know, so I want to fight fights that make sense. So this guy's going to have to do something very special to earn a fight uh, for the 205-pound belt, and I'll do it. I'll go down and fight and wait for Brock. So if I fought again around November, I could fight again around March and be done. Can you just describe the scene in the octagon there with Brock, you know, how that all unfolded? Were you, how aware were you that he was going to be cage side? Did you he, only notice after the fight? No, it was weird because like when I was, I run sprints before every fight. We go out, we find a hallway and I just bust out as many sprints as I can to get my heart rate up. As I was walking back into the arena, I see Brock Lesnar walking behind me. So I'm like, oh, what's Brock Lesnar doing here? You know, kind of like, oh, okay. Then... When I'm in the octagon waiting for Stipe, he was standing there kind of grimacing, like smirking at me. So I was like, oh, well, I guess Brock Lesnar's here to pick a fight. And uh, so I called him out. You know, I've been knowing him for a long time. I told him I want to kick his butt, and I, I, I will kick his butt when we fight. Yeah, and Dana mentioned that a little bit, that you guys have a history. Can you just ex describe your history? You I've known Brock since 1997. That's why when he pushed me like that, it was very odd. I was like, yo... I saw Marty Morgan out there. You never seen Marty's. Last time I saw Morty, Brock was getting his face bashed in by Cain Velasquez. I was like, wow, Marty, you, you guys are back. Like, they're, they're back in the game, you know. And uh, I've known Brock and I wrestled in the 1998 junior college finals together. I was 197. He was the heavyweight champ. 
Then when he was at Minnesota, I was at Oklahoma State, so we wrestled each other twice a year in dual meets. Not against each other, but the teams wrestled each other. And then when Brock was wrestling at WWE, he was always great to me and my family. We'd go to the matches. He'd take pictures with my kids. And I guess when, it's, when you step in the octagon, like your, your emotions are raised a little bit. And uh, Brock pushed me. And then Rosendo pushed him, which was absolutely crazy. Because Rosendo was like five foot nothing. And, uh, but that, that's what my team does for me. I know the pro wrestling fan, and you probably really enjoyed that. But, I know, did. Some of the feedback online is, you know, stage, WWE fake. They're, but they're, they're, hey, then, hey, stage, they're idiots. Fine. Stay broke. You got a guy like Brock Lesnar in front of you, and you don't go crazy on him? Are you crazy? When Brock decided to step in the octagon with me, he's a pro wrestler. He does fake fighting. So I'll do fake fighting with you until I put my fist up upside of your face. I'll, I'll do fake fighting with you, Brock, and then I'll punch you upside your head. So, yeah, yeah, you guys call it fake online. I see a whole bunch of fighters. Oh, it's so fake. I don't want to watch this. Tune in and keep, like, lacing my pockets. You guys got to get on board. These guys get on the microphone after their fights and say, yeah, it's whatever the UFC decides. Okay. And last thing, I mean, I know you've been very outspoken against, you know, PED users and everything. Uh, you feel that disqualifies you from everything. I mean, just address that side of this yeah, with Brock, situation. Yeah, Brock's got to be clean, man. I'm not going to fight him if he's not clean. And we'll do USADA testing, and we'll do other testing. We'll do testing above USADA to make sure this man's clean. Because I'm not going to fight him if he's cheating. I've done that on a number of occasions already. I don't want to fight him if he's dirty, man. Do it the right way. Can, can you elaborate? What can you do? What would your recourse be? Uh, you saw it as a standard. What would you be able to do above that? I mean, you kind of put me in a hard position, right? Because I can't really say much in terms of USADA because I'm not... USADA's been great to me. I've been in this testing program since 2001. But when you watch boxing, sometimes the guys do USADA testing and they do independent testing. And I just want him tested all the time. He's going to be getting tested even if i got to pay for it. We'll get him tested as often as we need to to make sure he's clean. Is there a chance that you would stay on beyond March? If let's, let's say for the sake of argument, you defend the light heavyweight title and you're successful against Brock sometime next year, and then that, that other guy that's out is ready to fight at heavyweight, would you, would you consider another fight with him? I mean, I would if he's around, but I don't know if he's going to be around. But honestly, at this point, does he even deserve it? You know, all these fights, and I hold the cards now. You may have won the fights, but I hold the cards. I'm the one that competed. I'm the one that went up and did something that you were not going to do. You know, uh, I went and fought the baddest man on the planet, the most successful heavyweight champion of all time, a great guy, a great champion, a guy that does everything the right way, and I won. So I don't know. I don't know if that's going to happen. All right, so that was the new champ champ, Daniel Cormier, in the tail end of his career, after all the trials and tribulations, having this incredibly emotional moment. All right, now the question comes. We, we, I mean, we could, we could, we could sit down and break this all day long because this, this, this fight was insane. But we got to move forward. Brock Lesnar jumps in the cage afterwards. Uh, well, you know, there's some call out. He was invited in. All right, so here's the thing. <laughs> DC says. Oh, I mean, I, I didn't know Brock was going to be there. And then I saw him, and it charged me. Yeah, ex I, mean, I mean, come on, right? Come on, I mean, you're not buying that. I may have just done the Pinocchio <laughs> nose-growing <laughs> gesture there, but yeah. 
I mean, listen, Cormier. Who am I to call Daniel Cormier a, a, a fibber? That's it. I, so I, I, I appreciate Cormier uh, selling the story that he didn't know Lesnar was going to be there, and he happened to notice Lesnar was going to be there. Come on, man. You knew. We, we had heard rumors. We had heard rumblings. You know they had been talking about this. But here's the thing that I like. He's, he, he's playing the game, and Cormier is great about playing the game, but he admits he's a professional wrestling fan. He's, you know, so he likes selling stories, and he likes uh, what this is all about. But I also like the fact that Cormier is basically opening up and just saying, listen, I got two fights left. At best, it may end up being one. He said, I got two fights left at best, and I need to make money. You know, I need to make money. And, you know, he said it straight up at the post-fight. Like, listen, man, I know Alexander Augustus is out there because he's saying, you know, Brock Lesnar won't be available right away. So he's saying, I may defend this light heavyweight belt first. We still don't know what's happening with John Jones. And, man, the way he made it sound, even if John Jones gets cleared by USADA tomorrow, I kind of get the idea that Cormier is, like, growing to this idea, especially now that he's had this moment of two belts on, you know, one on each shoulder that I don't really need to face John Jones. Like, I don't, you know, I don't need to exercise those demons or, or, or clear any of that. I, I don't think he... I kind of honestly believe he feels like, you know what, man, I don't – with two fights, maybe one left in my career, I don't even know if I need those headaches. But I want the biggest fights possible, and John Jones would certainly be one of the biggest fights possible. But I love the fact that he's kind of admitting that, look, I, I'm, I just need to cash in. You know, I've grinded, I've hustled my whole life, and, and now I'm trying to cash in. And I don't know, it's, it, it's weird. Like, he's playing the game on one hand. But on the other hand, he's letting us understand what his end game is, so he's peeling back the curtain a little bit. Um, I, I kind of like where, where Cormier is saying because I, I appreciate that what he's saying is I would rather him admit the fact, look, I just need the biggest fights possible because it's coming to an end versus trying to downplay a contender or delegitimize somebody's run, you know, like Curtis Blades. Curtis Blades is an incredible heavyweight contender, man. I mean, he's a guy that's on the rise. But is Curtis Blades versus Daniel Cormier going to sell anything? Like, it's not. And I appreciate him. Rather than trying to downplay Curtis Blades or downplay anybody else and tell the world why they're not worthy, he's just saying, listen, I need the biggest fights available. And I can respect that. Yeah, I think if if someone's being upfront and honest with you, then, you know, you can take everything on, on face value and... Daniel Cormier, he's got one, maybe two fights left. His opportunity to earn the sort of payday that... How much did he earn for this fight? Half a million, was it? Half a million yeah, flat. I mean, half got. a million flat, but Plus of course, pay-per-view points, right? Plus pay-per-view points. Right, so, uh, so hopefully he might have, you know, he might clear something approaching a million, depending on how big the show is. I don't know just just how much... Maybe bigger. How much he'll get. Um, but yeah, I mean, let's, let's say he gets a seven-figure payday, right? Um... There aren't many of those. There aren't many of those going around. He's he's one of the better paid athletes in the UFC, um, and he's a world champion. He's got pay per view points. He's got two fights left, maybe one. Brock Lesnar is is hitting the mother load, right? If 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 you get Brock Lesnar, you're printing money um, because you're not just getting an MMA audience. You're getting a pro wrestling audience. You're getting friends of MMA people, friends of pro wrestling people, because he is a he is a larger than life character, and it's gonna it's gonna be a big fight. 
Brock Lesnar versus the Tea Lady is going to be a big fight. So, so Brock Lesnar versus Daniel Cormier. I'm not nursing the Tea Lady fight. So yeah, I don't. Sure. I don't know. Yeah, it depends whether the Tea Lady makes two six five. But, <laughs> but yeah, no, it's it's <laughs> Cormier. Cormier can sell a fight. Cormier can sell a fight. Brock Lesnar. Yes, he can. Brock Lesnar can sell a fight. So you put that into the mix as well. And, you know, it just elevates everything up. And he, you know, we know he's going to retire. He's adamant. We asked him about it again today. His birthday, 40th birthday, which is next March, he's hanging up the gloves and he wouldn't entertain any suggestion of extending a deadline for any particular fight. Um, when he when he's 40, he's done. I really respect that. Um, and uh, hopefully that is what he sticks to and he gets it done. But, you you know... The window of opportunity to earn money is, is only so is only, only so big, and you can't wave away a payday like that, you know. And you always maximize it at the very end. That's you got, when your your highest earning potential is at the very end. Yeah, it's like when again talking about I know Brett talking about business. Michael Bisping. You know, he won the title, and after the career he's had and the injuries he sustained, and it would have been quite apt for him to say, "I've won the title, I'm off." Yep. But then he sat down and thought, well, hang on, I'm the champion now. I can earn more money by fighting. So he took more fights. He had to fight with Dan Henderson. So he, he had the homecoming, mm-hmm. he, which would have been a big payday as well. And then he got the GSP fight, which didn't go his way. But I'm sure I'm sure when he looked at the bank afterwards, he was probably it, it feeling... It went just his It way. probably softened the blow a little bit. Yeah. Because um, that's, that's, that's a nice little nest egg for him. All right, so two things. Number one, first off... Um, Somebody, and I, I couldn't recognize the voice, and I was typing and taking pictures at the time. Somebody asked, and I can respect this. It was one of the last questions that was asked. Phenomenal question. It was, uh, okay, listen, you're saying that John Jones doesn't necessarily figure in your plans right now and doesn't figure as one of the greatest ever because he's a cheater. He, he, he's been popped for drugs a couple times. Yet here you are saying you want to fight Brock Lesnar because you want to cash in. Brilliant question. Very fair question. And I'll be honest with you, I like the way Cormier answered it. He kind of smiled a little bit, and he says, because it's my rules now. You know, basically saying, look, I'm not going to try to lie to you and justify this because you're right, man. Bottom line is, because he, I, I mean, I think he realizes Brock Lesnar is not the fighter that John Jones is, no question about it. Yes, he's a huge specimen of a man, but he is not as skilled and talented as John Jones, but he brings a lot of eyeballs, which means a lot of money. So I respect that. And, and I, and I want to kind of let you weigh in on that. But yeah. but here's the other thing. People are going to say this is stupid. And I get it, man. Like, even tonight, it was. So here's this gorgeous, amazing, emotional, holy fuck moment, right? You know what I mean? And then, you know, Brock Lesnar comes in there and does what he does. Poops all over the heavyweight division. Poops all over Stipe. Uh, cuts a promo. Throws a microphone at a camera. Uh, pushed uh, uh, an inspector, by the way, out of his way. Not hard, but I mean, he did lay his hands on an NSAC inspector. I happened to, to see that. Uh, did what Brock Lesnar does, right? And Brock Lesnar is coming off, you know, a suspension. And now he's walking back into a title fight. And... I, I won't even I, I won't go too deep, but there was a member of our own staff at MMA Junkie, and you're not privy to this conversation, that was basically so disgusted that he was like, I don't even know if I can cover the sport anymore. I mean, this was literally happening on our staff. And 
it's weird because I, I understand that you're saying this is such a, a joke. I mean, this is such a joke, but it's ridiculous. But God damn it, earlier this week, one of our most clicked stories and views and videos of the whole week was Chuck Liddell and Tito Ortiz facing off, and they're, you know, pushing up on 50. So I don't I, – it's such a weird balance for me. I've been covering the sport for so long, and I've, I've been following the sport for so long, and I still love the sport from as much today as I did before. And do I realize that Brock Lesnar is not the number one contender? Goddamn right. Of course I do. Do I realize that Daniel Cormier deserves the right to face Brock Lesnar? And that fans will like that more. You're damn right I do. And it's such a balance. I, I just think if you follow the sport and you're involved in the sport and you care about the sport and you love the sport, you have to realize it's a balance of both. And I don't know exactly how to explain it. I'm not as good as words, but you are because I'm an American. We didn't invent the English language. Finally. So I'll turn it you over to the English. <laughs> put into words what I'm trying to say because I will say I didn't love the scene I didn't love the scene I loved the moment of Cormier's win I didn't love everything that happened afterwards right it's not it was it was it was Brock Lesnar doing Brock Lesnar I didn't love it but I also understand that the casual fans who are way more of the sport than the than the hardcores are they loved it you know yeah. what I mean? We walked into Buffalo Wild Wings on uh, Warren Springs in Durango to grab a little food and to continue our work after we got kicked out of T-Mobile Arena. And as soon as we walked in, all anybody wanted to talk to us about, because they recognized us as the, the MMA guys rolling in, is they want to talk about Brock Lesnar and what happened. And some of them were like, wow, that was awesome. And some of them were like, holy shit, that was stupid. Uh, so I don't know. I, I, I feel like it's necessary. I feel like it's good overall because it means money. It means eyeballs. But I didn't love it, but I don't hate it. Right, okay, I've got some I've got some views on this. First thing, Daniel Cormier saying he doesn't want to fight John Jones, but he does want to fight Brock Lesnar. Right. People some people will say that's hypocritical. I will give you one argument against that. Brock Lesnar has never cheated against Daniel Cormier. He's never cheated Daniel Cormier. John Jones has. Fair point. That is the crucial thing that I think Daniel Cormier can point to. He has never been screwed over, cheated, or directly affected whatsoever by any... Now, I'm not saying that that diminishes what Brock Lesnar did. However, if you're Daniel Cormier, and you're looking after Daniel Cormier, that's why he wants this fight, you look at it and go, well, I've got no beef with Brock Lesnar. Yeah. Right? So there's that. That's like when you meet the hot chick at the bar, and like, she cheated on her last boyfriend. She ain't cheated on me. (laughs) There you go. <laughs> you put it in language that, that you understand, John. That's good. Right, okay. That's why I get smarter people than me to do this podcast. Right, with. now let's talk about the incident because I, I, I had conflicting opinions. I was conflicted watching it because I'm an occasional fan of professional wrestling. I'm not a hardcore pro wrestling fan. Right. I, I'm a big respecter of what they do um, and all the elements of it. There are multi multiple layers to what goes on in that industry and it is... If you actually delve into it, it's a fascinating industry to actually look at. Now, I think that Daniel Cormier made an error. And that error was calling Lesnar into the cage. He could have done everything that he needed to do without Lesnar being in the cage. If you remember when uh, Cormier first won a light heavyweight title uh, and he, he called out John Jones, get your shit together, I'm, I'm coming, right? That was perfect. That's a pro wrestling promo. That was amazing. 
open workouts this week. What did Cormier do? He cut a pro wrestling style promo yep. on on the uh, on the casino floor at MGM Grand. He, he's done this before and he does it really well. Now he cut a promo on Jimmy Manoa at Cage Side, I think, at one point. So it, he, you know, he, he would do it with anybody, but. Brock Lesnar there, the camera's there, pay-per-view audience. All he had to do was do exactly as he did. But rather than calling him in, he should have just kept the microphone where he was in control of the situation and just put Lesnar on blast. If he'd spoken for long enough, there'd have been a camera on him, there'd have been a camera on Brock, there'd have been a, a conversation through the fence. That's all you needed. You're dead right. Right. You're dead right. Made a massive, in my opinion... You're dead right. All the headlines turn out the same. It's Cormier. Everything gets accomplished. But you don't have that. Circus. You don't have that circus sideshow thing. You're by, so right. By 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 bringing Lesnar in, you are no longer in control because you've got a three hundred pound man standing in there who is a complete loose cannon. You have no unless unless the pair of them have sat down and said we're going to do this and don't rule that out. Of right? course. Unless they've sat down. I'm and sure s- that was. I'm, listen, right? I, we already said the nose was growing when he said he didn't know. Yeah. I'm sure they knew. I'm not saying they necessarily worked together. No, but what I'm saying is. Let's 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 You're take so right. let's take it on face value, right? And and uh, Cormier is is a fan of pro wrestling. He's playing the game. He's talking to Brock Lesnar in a way that Brock Lesnar understands. He knows it's going to sell the fight. Controversy creates cash. As uh, a pro wrestling promoter, Eric Bischoff, it's a book that he wrote actually. Um, but it's it's very very apt in this sport as well. Once Lesnar came in, control was lost by DC. That shouldn't have happened. Keep the mic. Say your bit. Don't let Lesnar have any right of reply. Then it goes from there. What happens next? The media then wants to talk to Brock Lesnar. You're so right. right. That was the way to handle it. Yeah. And, you could have uh, accomplished everything the same and not had that ridiculous yeah. scene in there. And do you want to know what else would have happened? Any any people who were thinking that's stupid or Les, uh, uh, DC's gone too far or whatever, because some people would have said that. Right. They wouldn't have said that there. That would have been, that's great. Here's the legit guy. Here's the world heavyweight champion, the world light heavyweight champion, the former US Olympic wrestling captain. He's in the cage. He's got all the credentials. There's the WWE guy who came into the octagon and won a title, but then got smashed by DC's teammate. He's on the outside. He can't say a word, right? He can just froth at the mouth and look through the fence. Oh, didn't make right? him so mad. Right. That would have been perfect. That, that would have been perfect because A, you say what you want to say. B, potentially you frustrate the life out of Lesnar. Uh, and it looks great on TV. It looks great on TV. You nailed it. You and, nailed it. And, and as for the fight, I think I think yeah, book it because it need. I think it. I think it makes sense. And as you say, you know, we spoke about the Curtis Blazing in the car on the way over here. Um, you, it's hard because MMA and prize fighting in general isn't a. It's it's a sport, but it isn't a pure meritocracy. No. Where. You, you know the, the the champion has to face the next best guy, and the UFC built its name on on largely that actually. But as it became more mainstream, you have to then appeal to who's going to watch, and then the you know the line gets a little bit blurred, and you know. But you have to choose those moments carefully. You can't just operate on that business model entirely, where you just say we're only going to book fights that are purely based on numbers, because then you lose the sport element of it, yep. and it just becomes. It just becomes a sideshow. Wins matter, rankings matter, yeah. but there are certain stars that maybe matter more. Right, and and you, you, if you cherry pick those moments well, then it works. That's why Conor McGregor versus Floyd Mayweather worked. In true sporting terms, that fight shouldn't even have been sanctioned. That's right. Right. 
it was the biggest grossing boxing match in history. And it, as an event, it worked. But you couldn't do that every week. That's right. Boxing, people, you know, people like to say boxing's dead. It's not dead. It's doing great. But boxing would die if you did that because people would gradually turn off to it. Yeah, it's not sport anymore. And as long as as long as it's you, you know, you, I think you can get away with one or two of those a year tops. Otherwise, you're then you're then ruining your own credibility. And they've spent years building that up. So it's it's a balancing act. All right. So uh, listen, there were questions definitely about Brock Lesnar. Now it was funny because they they brought everything in, and it seemed pretty apparent that that was the fight that was going to happen next. But we didn't have we hadn't necessarily heard that it was going to happen next, and we had a couple questions as well. The USADA thing is definitely lingering out there. So uh, Dana White did come back uh, to the press conference area as well. Um, and, of course, we had to ask Dana White about this whole Brock Lesnar situation, you know, kind of what details he could share, put it on record. Is this definitely the fight you're doing next? Uh, and, and we asked him a little bit about this, and, and here's what he had to say. I mean, just to get it clear on the record, it seems obvious the Lesnar fight is next for him. You can, you can say that for a fact that is the fight that's being booked. Yeah, well, we're definitely going to make that fight. Um so Lesnar hit me up a couple days ago and says, uh, sorry I went dark on you, but uh, I had some stuff I had to take care of, and I'm going to come to the fight this weekend. Okay. See, see you Saturday. You know, he came here tonight. He was all fired up, if you couldn't tell. I mean, right when he got to my seat on the side, he was acting like a, like a lunatic. He, he was fired up and excited for this fight. He, his gut told him Stipe because he felt that uh, Cormier put too much weight on for this fight. He thought it was going to affect him. Um, and it didn't. The second half of the year calendar was announced tonight. Uh, is there a date on that calendar that, that makes sense for this fight? I don't know right now. You know, we're still, we, we had this, this night tonight. We got July 28th. And then we can really start working on uh, the end of the year stuff, you know, September, October. November, December. And last thing on this fight, I mean, it's not the fun side to talk about, but it's real. I mean, there's USADA issues, right? I mean, there's time away. There's, you know, pinning it. So has he been testing? Is he going to be? Can, so, what can you tell us? So the process has started. They started the process last week. I don't know where they are in the process, but he's either, he's going to pop up on the on the board here soon, nice. Monday or Tuesday, or I don't know. I, I don't know where they are in the process. Okay, so there you heard Dana White talking about it. Now, one of the things that Dana White said is like, Here, hey, here's the deal going on with USADA, uh, but don't quote me exactly. Go talk to Jeff Nowitzki. Well, uh, fortunately, uh, Cole Coffey was in the back on the camera, and he said, hey, he, he hit me up uh, via WhatsApp, uh, text, whatever, uh, on my computer, and he's like, dude, Jeff Nowitzki's back here. Like, he's here. He's in the room. Go, do you want to come back here and talk to him? And so I ran back there real quick, and, and I did. I wanted to ask him kind of, What's going on? Uh, and I'm going to apologize. This is very, very short because this is uh, this is right before DC came in, so we didn't know how long we had. I mean, I basically left my seat. If you were watching the stream, this is the moment I got up and left and then came back. So I was rushing a little bit. And number two, the audio is not great because it was just my phone. I didn't have my actual normal recorder with me. And even then, I didn't want to stick the phone right in Jeff's face, you know, because I was trying to kind of make it a little bit low-key, uh, but I did ask him at the end of this recording, hey, you're okay with that being on record, right? And he said, yeah, absolutely. You know, D Dana said, come talk to me, so here I am. You came and talked to me, so this is fine. This is on record. So even though this isn't crystal clear uh, audio, I figured, you know, rather than me tell you about it, 
let you hear this little brief exchange with me and, and, and Jeff Nowitzki um, so that you know exactly what was said and exactly where I'm coming from and exactly um, what Jeff shared. The way the process generally works is the athlete notifies us to come back in the pool. He said he did that last week, right? Right. Then he's given certain deadlines to file declarations, whereabouts. But as soon as he says he's back in the pool, he's subject to testing. Okay. So if they wanted to test him tonight, they could. Okay. So assuming he gets all these things in by the deadline, which is maybe tonight or tomorrow, he will retroactively get credit to the middle of last week. So that's paperwork that just has to be filed to say, this is my address, this is how you reach me, things exactly. like that. Yeah. And week, is that the last week of June? No, this was this, this past week. This past and what does he because he left under suspension can the can the suspension and the testing period run simultaneously well so no i mean it's, it's one it's whatever the longer is of the suspension or six months right in the pool so his suspension is a little bit longer than six months okay six months and maybe 10 days i think it is okay around, that. around so, yeah he's looking at a mid to later january eligibility return assuming obviously it's clean for the testing when he's back Okay, so that there's no skirting that, there's no getting around that, that has to be served. No exemption, nothing, it has to be served, yep. Okay, so there it is, straight from Jeff Davisky's mouth. Uh, I mean, listen, not that anything with USADA is necessarily as clear as we would love it to be or as we would like it to be, but I guess the key that I'm taking out of that is that he's got to go six months and ten days, more or less, um, so it's going to be next year before Brock Lesnar can fight. So that means... Daniel Cormier told us he'd like to fight in November. He'd like to fight in March. That means Lesnar is probably that March date. If they can find a light heavyweight fight that makes sense, because Cormier said he'd like to fight in November. But if there's not a fight that makes sense at light heavyweight, you probably just sit out and, and, and do that fight with Lesnar. It's kind of funny. When, uh, when Brock Lesnar was on the UFC 200 card, mm -hmm. I remember DC finding out about this. And he... They actually know each other, right? They so they, he texted Brock Lesnar and said, uh, "Is this true? You're going to be on your CC hundred?" And Brock Lesnar replied to him and said, "Merry Christmas, DC." So now it's going to be Happy Birthday, DC, because he's going to be pretty much around DC's fortieth birthday. So that's funny. Uh, so that's that's kind of funny. Um, but yeah, so it needs to be before. Was it March the twentieth? Is it? He said. Is, I think is that so. His there. March the twentieth. Um, he says quickly checking. March twentieth. Yeah. So. Um, Long as, as long as I can get him in before then, happy days. He'll earn himself a a, a tasty. A I tasty. wouldn't hate the fact that the Cormier only has one fight left and it's Brock and they wait till next year. We'll see. Yeah. All right. From one scintillating, special, memorable, incredible heavyweight fight to another. Another fight. Yeah, let's talk about the Cormier. Uh, yeah. listen, I don't want to spend a ton of time talking about this. Derek Lewis and, and Francis Nagano. Um, two guys that you and I both like a lot as people, both like a lot as fighters, uh, finally get together. The fight that everybody couldn't wait to see is just an incredible fight on paper, and in the cage, it was awful. It's, it's literally, and, and I hate, I hate when people speak in, this was the worst, this was, I was, it was one of the worst fights I've ever seen. Yeah. And I, and I hate to say that, it's. But it was terrible, man. Nothing was going on. And I, I don't know. As this fight was playing out, like, the first round I kind of understood. Like, everybody – I mean, there's so much respect. And the crowd started booing like a minute in. You're like, hold on, hold on, everybody. Calm down. These are two knockout artists of the highest degree. You know what I mean? They're dangerous, powerful people. Nobody wants to make a mistake early. 
and and just get clipped. You know, as you, as you said, I think we were talking earlier. You know, Naganu knocking Overeem's head back like a Pez dispenser. You know what I mean? Nobody wants to end up being that guy, right? So so I get it, man. You're studying each other a little bit earlier. You're being cautious. You're being careful. And then that first minute turned into the first round. And I was oh, okay, 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 okay. okay. All right, I get it. Both guys, you know, when you're big and, and like that, you know, fatigue is a concern. And so maybe I could see both guys, either guy, whatever, saying, hey, that first round, let's just be careful. Let's not make any mistakes. Let's not expose ourselves. Let's let the other guy move around a little bit, maybe tire himself out. And then round two, that's when we're going to turn it on, you know. That didn't and, then, and then that didn't happen. And then it turned on in round three, and it was, it, it was just, uh, it was just, it was just awful, and it sucked that it happened. And you know, the, the, the it played out like it was. I, you know, I definitely thought Derek Lewis was um, the winner of the fight, and I think I, I didn't even see it, but you pointed out. I guess it was MMA Junkie's own Ben Folk said, uh, "What was the quote? More or less, it was he, he won by doing something. Something. The quote here, here we are." Uh, Derek Lewis won that fight by doing some things as opposed to Francis Ngannou who did no things and that's it that, I mean that's literally what it boiled down to there were some kicks there were some punches none of them necessarily landed especially clean um, and, and I'll tell you what again I love both those guys I love both their camps and and I had actually I had actually tweeted out um, because as they both walked by press row you know I was kind of making eye contact with the coaches, you know, because sometimes they'll drop you those little nuggets like, well, you know, I mean, literally it was just people looking back at you like with this kind of sheepish, uh, frustrated, you know, disappointed look. And uh, I did ask somebody, by the way, after I tweeted that, pointed out that it was probably my fault because I still had a blue shirt on. Uh, just wear red for Derek. Yeah, I didn't put the red shirt on for Derek Lewis, so it probably all boiled down to my fault. But uh, So I will accept full responsibility and blame for this. But, it, you know, I, I will say this. It's pretty funny because I, I do love these guys so much, and I knew that once they met, it was probably going to be a violent end, and that disappointed me. Um, I guess I win in this because the two guys that I love in the division didn't hurt each other. <laughs> I don't know. It's just is that the positive this, you're taking? From that's this? the positive okay. I'm taking. Oh, that's this fight. It was supposed to be amazing, and it turned out to be absolute crap, and it it sucks. It was terrible. On on the after after the uh, after the fight, the press conference, Derek Lewis came up and uh, cut a pretty dejected figure up there, and uh, was very honest, saying that he was. Pretty, pretty much embarrassed by everything that happened and he believed his stock has gone down as a result. Something that Dana White actually said he shouldn't be so he shouldn't be so hard on himself, you know. He's he's done a lot of amazing things in the octagon, you know, he's he's always he's always delivered the goods in the past. Um but one thing that Derek did say was apparently Nagano uh had, had said to him that he's he's gonna put Lewis to sleep. Well he didn't manage to do that, but he damn near nearly put the T Mobile Arena to sleep. <laughs> Um, because, because you're so wrong. It was, it, it was, so it was wrong. such a, it was such an un-Francis Ngannou performance because especially the way he earned his title shot against <sighs> Stipe was just like this trail of destruction. And then he fought Stipe and got humbled in, in a pretty, sure. a pretty uh, exposing way. Then they put him in with Derek Lewis, who is a very heavy handed heavyweight. Not the most mobile. No. And has been has, has has been knocked out in the past. I think Sean Jordan knocked him out previously. Um I thought that we would see a very aggressive uh Francis Ngannou come out early, 
Look, jab, look, move, jab, big shot. I thought he'd be really dynamic, yeah. and he just he just wasn't. And I don't know what what it was. Whether he whether he was just gun shy, whether he was overly wary of Lewis's power, whether there was other factors at play that we don't know about. Whatever it was, it just it just made for an absolute stinker of a fight. Dana White called it an abomination. I don't know if it was as good as that. But it was it was it was it was it was a terrible, terrible fight and it's one that both of them will both want to forget and move on. And I'm sure the next time we see both those guys, I expect both of them will probably win by KO in the next fight because they're gonna be going in with a serious chip on their shoulder as a result of that. And everybody has a bad day at the office, John, and professional fighters are no different. So you know, we can we can we can we can have a bit of a laugh and a joke about it and say, Yeah, that really wasn't very good. But you know, I've had I've had pretty crappy days myself, and I'm sure you have, and I'm sure everyone listening has woken up one day and had an absolute stinker of a day at work, and thought, "Well, okay, I'm lucky I'm still employed after that." It's true. Um, you know, they had a bad day at the office. We 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 recognise it, we move on, and we look forward to seeing them back in there, being their normal selves again next time round. All right. So you may think after a fight like that, why the hell would I want to play you audio from the press conference? But I do. I want to. I want you to hear Derek Lewis. It's not the full thing, but I want to hear a little bit of it. Um, just so you can hear, because Derek Lewis, I will say, respect to a man. He came in, he owned it. Maybe owned more too of it. Mu- th- too yeah, much of it. Maybe owned more of it than he had to, because again, he did something where Ngannou did nothing, and I and I don't necessarily understand. And, and I look forward to talking to Francis soon. Obviously, he's he's here in Vegas now, um, so maybe we'll get to catch up with him real soon. But uh, here's what Derek Lewis had to say. Hey Derek, uh, just immediate reactions to your fight tonight. Uh, I know probably not what you wanted, not what a lot of people were expecting. So how do you feel about it after a few minutes? Yeah, it was, it was a terrible performance. Um, I know I said that a lot, but it was it was a real bad performance. And I know for sure I don't deserve a title shot. You know, I believe it hurted me more than it helped me. You know, even though I got the win, but. I believe it set me probably about two fights back. Mm-hmm. I mean, do you feel like, I know you mentioned, I believe your, your back was tightening up. Is that what was happening in there too? For sure, my back was killing me. You know, all I wanted to do was just sit down and stay on that bench. And I mean, you, you if you look at the stats, you threw, you know, the majority of the strikes in that fight and landed them. Uh, in preparing for this fight, could you imagine Francis was going to approach it like that, even in kind of your wildest dreams? Um, we did. We knew he, he really wanted to counter me <clears throat> coming in with my right hand because, you know, I, I'm real vulnerable whenever I come in with my right hand because I just throw it straight and I lean over whenever I throw it. And I know he tried to – he really wanted to catch me coming in and hit me with an uppercut or a left hook. So that was the game plan, really. Really, the game plan, game plan was to take his ass down. And I already told my coach, I don't know how to take down. I don't know how to do takedowns. Right, and you know, you say that set you back two fights. So, is there anyone that you think makes sense for you? I mean, it looks like DC is going to be fighting Brock Lesnar from all indications. So, where where do you feel you go from here? Shit, my ass needs to sit down somewhere and learn some more technique on something. You know, um, I don't deserve to call anyone out. You know, with performance like that, I don't care if he is the number one contender. You know, I believe. I shouldn't be fighting no one, really, with a performance like that. Derek, I mean, in fairness, it is. I mean, there are two guys in there, right? So, I mean, how much of tonight and what happened do you put on him versus just you? I mean, you you were the busier guy, even though it wasn't a ton busier. No, I believe it's, believe it's all my fault because I'm the one that called them out. And, you know, I should have really pushed the pace 
But, you know, I also had to fight smart, too, because he is very dangerous on the feet. What's going through your head? I mean, I'm, I'm sure you can hear the crowd. I'm, I'm assuming you can hear the boos, the frustration. I mean, is there any part of you that says, hell with the game plan, I got to open up, you know, we're here to put on a show? Yeah, for sure. It was embarrassing, you know. Um, shit, I wanted to go, but my body wouldn't let me, you know. So either that or really try to get knocked out, you know. But it is what it is. And lastly for me, Derek, I mean, let's talk long term. I mean, your back's been an issue for a while, right? And you're admitting it, it bothered you again tonight. You're a fan favorite. You're a contender. But, I mean, is this something that could potentially shorten or, or threaten your fighting career? I don't know. You know, my, um, my wife, she really wanted me to take care of my back before I even accept any type of fights, you know. But it just, it just the dog in me that I always want to fight no matter what. But, yeah, I know I need to take it more serious, and the doctors already have told me that I need to lose at least 25 pounds and stuff like that and need to stretch a lot more than what I have been doing um, to try to help my back out. All right, so listen, here's here's my, my theory. Derek Lewis owned up. He owned up, right? I think this was a masterful job by Derek Lewis. Here's what happened. I think this is just my theory. This is my theory, right? I'm listening. I mean, listen, Nagano's a scary dude, right? I mean, that's a that's a big, strong, scary man. So I think Derek Lewis knew I gotta go out there and I'm gonna I can't fatigue myself. I can't I can't get tired, right? So I'm gonna wait out that first round. And he waited out the first round, and then he realized, oh my god, Francis Nagano's just waiting out this thing too. He's waiting for me to counter. And then that is when the black beast came up to the master class. He said, Listen. I don't ever want to fight this big, scary dude again. So how do I make sure that that doesn't happen? I make sure that we have the worst fight in UFC history. And so he said, I am not going to engage. I am going to sit here, and I'm just going to let the crowd boo, and I'm just going to bore the hell out of everybody. So then, even if we both go on 10-fight winning streaks, and the guy who knocks out 10 dudes in a row in the first 30 seconds... The first time somebody says, bro, we got to run that Ngannou Lewis fight back, everybody goes, oh, hell no. I don't want to see that fight again. Black Beast, masterclass. The sound you can hear, ladies and gentlemen, is the sound of a very large barrel being scraped. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Mike Perry picked up a split decision win over Paul Felder. I will say, um, you know, I was scoring this from cage side. I was – I was exhausted. This has been a long week. <laughs> I did have this 30-27 Mike Perry. I thought the first round was incredibly, incredibly, incredibly close. And I think Paul Felder uh, probably won it because he actually won uh, round one on all three judges' cards. Oh, I had Felder win in the first round. With that late flurry especially, right? The yeah. late work he did in there. Yeah. Um, but this was a good fight. Um, you know, there was the cut early on, which uh, I, I wasn't sure if it came from a punch or a headbutt. It sounded like it came from a headbutt, right. uh, the clash. Uh, it did make for beautiful pictures. There's just blood rushing all over these guys. It wasn't the fastest pace fight, uh, but that made it no less intense, no less entertaining. I thought both guys were tactical. I thought both guys were, were, were fun to watch. I think I think Perry, you know, came in. He, he said he uh, really enjoyed the fact that he got his first decision win, which is weird. You don't hear that very often, but it did make sense, right? I mean, this is Perry saying, hey, I'm growing up as a fighter a little bit. I'm understanding, you know, it's not just I got to come in and, and maul you right away. There's other ways to get there. Uh, Paul Felder, you know, wasn't undersized. I mean, we saw the face-off, right? He's not undersized as a welterweight. Seems like he could compete there. I don't know if it would behoove him or not. Um, 
Duke Rufus came and, and told us afterwards that it, it seems like Falder broke his arm with the first spinning back fist that he threw. Um, I don't know. This was an intriguing fight. It, it, it was one of those fights that, again, came together on such quick notice. It was an unexpected fight. It was a, it was a replacement uh, for Yancey Medeiros. Then it got moved up to the main card. Came with a lot of anticipation. Maybe not quite the fireworks, but still, to me, it was like a tactical brawl. You know, it wasn't, it, it wasn't you know, Bonner, Griffin-esque or whatever, just craziness. Um, a good fight, a good win for Mike Perry. I don't know necessarily what it means for each guy. I guess that's the part that's hard. Like, I don't know necessarily what this means next for Mike Perry. I don't need, I don't know if Felder needs to go back to lightweight. Um, so I don't know exactly what I make out of this fight, except the fact that I thought it was intense and it was entertaining. Yeah, I mean, I, we spoke to Mike Perry during media day, and he told us that since he'd been at Jackson Jackson Wink, they're trying to knock the rough or the rough edges off him a little bit. Right. Um, and that he well, can't. He's got a lot of edges to work on. They certainly have. <laughs> In and out and, of the cage. And they're all pretty rough, right? He's a character. He's so, a character. so he, he he's he's a journalist dream for a oh, media yes, day because he, he just he just goes off on this random stream of consciousness, and you get some stuff you never thought you were going to get from him. But he said one of the things he told us was he wants to keep his explosion and his ferocity, but he needs to dial back some of the some of the aggression a little bit. Sure. So he needs to be a little bit more measured and focus more on his technique. So rather than just throwing with as much power as he can, he needs, needs to improve his timing and make sure that when he's throwing, he's throwing better punches. So, I mean, I think we saw a bit it more It looked of like that. he was working on that he was measured. He, he was taking a more... Let's... Let's be honest. It was still pretty violent, and, and you know, yeah. you know, he wasn't giving when he did on court, It was at full strength. Absolutely, but he was he wasn't just aimlessly just sort, right. of, w- sort of winging winging yeah, away. Yeah. He he was trying to work his openings and then throw. And when he was throwing, then he he emptied the chamber, right? But and Paul Felder, he's got that sort of Muay Thai sort of stance almost. He's very upright, um, and in Muay Thai, it's the same. They get themselves into position. They throw their strikes and then they move away. And it's it's in, out, throw your strikes, pop up out and then out again. Felder was like that and obviously he loves his spinning attacks as well. I thought it was a good performance by Perry. The one thing about Felder at welterweight, the thing that I would say is he looked great at welterweight um, on the scale. He, yeah. he still looked ripped. Uh, and to think that he he took a split decision loss against a guy like Mike Perry who is as tough as they come in that division and he did it with one arm effectively. Yep. I, I I think that there are a lot of positives that Paul Felder can take from that fight and uh I would like to see him stay at one seventy. I think from a, a health perspective I think he's probably better off there. Um I don't know how he would fare I mean, you know, there are there are some pretty big one seventy pounders that Darren Teal springs to mind. Mm. Um he's probably the sort of the extreme end of that. But yeah, I think I think that would it I think it'd probably be a healthier a healthier weight for him. Um but whenever Paul Felder's on a fight card, you know you're going to get entertainment. I'll stick him in the same bracket as a Dustin Poirier. You know, when, when you see that name on the card, you think, okay, you've already got a little mark next to that guy's fight as a potential fight of the night because you know they always bring it. And uh, he had the perfect dance partner with Mike Perry because he's very similar in that he's always exciting to watch. Um, and uh, yeah, my disappointment is that Felder got injured because we might have had an even better fight. True that. Anthony Pettis picked up a submission win over Michael Chiesa. A lot of drama coming into this fight, of course. I mean, uh, of course, you know, this was a fight that was supposed to happen earlier this year. It, it, it didn't happen because of uh, the Conor McGregor situation, the broken glass from the bus, scratch Michael Chiesa, gets rescheduled. 
um, some tension between the two at weigh-ins, uh, a little bit of animosity it seemed was was growing uh, over time. And, uh, man, Michael Chiesa looked good early, but he seemed to fade to me incredibly quick. Now, we know he missed weight. He said at the weigh-ins, I'm done with lightweight, never again. I wasn't necessarily going to hold him to that. I mean, when a guy is struggling, you know, they kind of make decisions or make statements that you could see them going back on. And I still picked Michael Chiesa going into this fight, and I thought, well, maybe we'll get a chance to talk to him afterwards and see if he stands by that statement. And he looked good early on. He put Anthony Pettis in some trouble. And then, to me, it looked evident very early on that Chiesa was tired, I thought, halfway through the first round. Yeah. Um, I, I thought he, he, you know, he started basically reaching for takedowns without setting up anything whatsoever. And, and and Anthony Pettis, you know, responded to the situation, looked phenomenal. And I will say it's funny because, you know, Anthony Pettis was a, was a guest fighter at UFC 225. He was up in Chicago. We, we met him at the uh, – the, there was a, a media night at, at Modelo headquarters, Constellation Beverage headquarters, which, by the way, Anthony Pettis like, – how great was he in the post fight? He's like, I've been working hard. I need a Modelo now. It was, it was pretty funny, man. Good for him. But I had a chance to talk to him face to face, and and I've thought this over long. I think his jujitsu is 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 better than his striking. It really, I think it's phenomenal. But he's been kind of classified as a striker. Anyway, he 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 made adjustments. He responded. His jujitsu looked phenomenal. Um, I I thought it's weird because I don't want to because I thought Anthony Pettis looked fantastic. And I don't want to uh, take things away from him by saying I thought Kiesa didn't look great. But I don't know if it was the weight cut, if there was more to it. Uh, Kiesa just faded like really, really early in this fight. And so I always hate to say that because it sounds like you're taking away from Anthony Pettis. I'm not. I love Showtime. Uh, you know, covering him, interviewing him, talking to him since WC days. And I thought this was fantastic for him. But I think, I, I mean, you could simultaneously praise somebody while also saying the guy that lost – showed some issues right yeah absolutely I mean the first thing to say is that's the best Anthony Pettis we've seen in quite some time no question I think you know he's he was back at the level that we saw when he was when he took the title off Benson Henderson it was it was getting to that sort of level of performance he looked he looked super comfortable on his feet um, and he actually and he found himself in, in, a, in a bad spot quite early on Kiesa took him down um, ha- took his back Yep, and looked like he was working for a rear naked choke, and and Pettis managed to sort of uh, wriggle his way out the back. You know, he managed to get out the back door, and 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 then the fight obviously went from there. And yeah, I mean, but you know, maybe that was you know, if if Kiesa did have problems and he knew going in, maybe that was his that was his hail mary, going for it as quickly as possible, trying to get the True. win. Yeah, but, yeah, good good point. But but Pettis, I thought looked outstanding, and you know he. He he tried a few things in there that that were back to the old Showtime and Kiesa did a very good job. He, uh, there, there was one where he threw this ridiculous spinning kick that that Kiesa ducked under and then circled away, wagging his finger at him. There was another one where uh, Pettis was actually lying on the on the floor on his back, sort of sideways to where Kiesa was, and he pr- somehow sort of launched himself in the air from his back. Did sort of like a semi bicycle kick type thing, amazing, and then landed back on his back again, and he connected with that. Yep. I think he landed. I think he might have caught him in the chest, but it's that sort of invention and just that crazy, that's crazy stuff that fans love to see. Obviously, the Showtime kick is is is, is what he's famous for, but that 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 invention is still there, and and 
he didn't land it, but during the exchange where he ended up getting Kiesa to the floor, he threw this flying kick, which didn't connect with the body, but Kiesa had a leg out already to try and fend him off. And that, just connecting with that was enough to send him down. And then, and then he finished him down. Now, I think he had him in a guillotine initially, and then he switched to try and go armbar, and then he, he got the tap at that point. But yeah, I, I, I voiced concerns on, on this podcast before, uh, leading into that fight on how Pettis would cope defensively uh, against a, a big, strong, lightweight who's got excellent submissions. Well, he had he had the opportunity to showcase some of that by getting getting out of that early adverse uh, uh, that that early uh, back mount and yeah. r- wriggling free. And then when he got his chance, he was as clinical as you like and put it away. I think he's ranked twelfth at the moment. I'd expect him to go up a little bit after that, but looks like Showtime might be back. I dig it, man. Pettis is so good. Uh, creativity, as you said, uh, it's just nonstop chaining moves together. It's fun. So uh, here's a quick little snippet. Uh, of Anthony Pettis in the back. Uh, Cold Coffee was back there, other reporters. He didn't make it to the press conference, but I, I wanted to hear a, a couple of minutes of this because, uh, yeah, man, when Anthony Pettis is on, he's on. So, uh, did you think that was one of your best wins in recent years and just the way you performed overall? Yeah, I just felt really confident there again. I, it feels good to go in there with confidence. I mean, I went in there without doubting the takedowns. If he took me down, it wasn't a big issue. We had jiu-jitsu waiting for him, and that's what showed in the fight. What was the moment of change for you where you decided, you know, I'm not going to worry about certain elements of the fight and just do what I do best. I just got tired of losing. I mean, I knew I was better than all these guys that I'm losing against, and I just I just took myself out of my element. You know, I, I couldn't I couldn't focus on the, the, the takedowns. It took away from my striking. It took away from my jiu-jitsu, and uh, you know, we got away from it, and, and it shows in my results. How much weight is lifted off your shoulders, especially getting a finish on Chiesa? Because, uh, you know, like you said, a lot of people didn't really look at the opponents who were fighting in, in some of those losses. Um, it's huge to get a finish, obviously. You know, I'm, I'm a fighter that looks for finishes. That's what I got back to. Always looking for the finish, whether I'm striking or whether I'm on the ground. And, uh, you know, it, just, it was only a matter of time. I knew he was a bigger guy. I mean, Kies is a big 55er, and I'm looking up at him at the weigh-in. So, uh, mm-hmm. but it was going to take some time, and, uh, you know, I, just, I took my, my time with it, and, and I found it. What was your reaction yesterday when he missed weight by, by so much? Uh, you know, like, just, I'm sure, you know, there's a lot that goes into when a fighter misses weight, yeah. especially a big fight like this for you. I can't, uh, I can't, I can't point fingers. I missed weight when I fought Max Holloway, so I know how it is coming down to, you know, to a big or uh, a smaller weight class. I think uh, he'll probably feel better at 170. I mean, he's killing himself to make this weight class. But when you when you did miss weight, I mean, you handled yourself as professionally as you could at the weigh-ins. You know, he's talking smack to you, said, you'll see you in Bellator, things like that. Yeah. Uh, do you think after missing weight, he didn't handle himself as he should have? Uh, well, after the triangle, he, he said you're a champ, so uh, that's all I care about. The main card opened up with Khalil Roundtree picking up the upset special. 96 seconds, the knockout of Gokan Saki. Uh, man, Khalil Roundtree, a Las Vegas guy, um, a guy that I have seen come up as an amateur, actually called him his fights and, and tough enough, and, and then to see him at this moment. I mean, listen, uh, Kokan Saki is legit, dude. The Turkish Tyson is a bad dude. You know, you and I talked about earlier in the week, guys, you know, facing the biggest heavyweights in the world, you know, in, in kickboxing. Khalil Roundtree is a specimen. He, he's... A special dude because I feel like he's capable of legitimately competing with and beating anybody on the planet when his mindset is right. I, I, I but I remember being in uh, Australia back in 2016 when he lost to Tyson Pedro, and of course, love Tyson Pedro, man. He's a, he's a fantastic prospect. But Khalil just being like, well, you know, I mean, it sucks, but hey, we're all because we were we were hanging out post fight, you know, kind of talking or whatever. And he was just like, yeah, it sucks. But, you know, man, I mean, look, 
here I am in Australia. I got I got I got paid to come here and compete over here. Like, isn't this amazing? And it was like, nah, bro, it's not amazing. Like, I I've seen you. You're better than this. But it was funny because, you know, the the face offs with Saki, you know, they 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 it was pretty intense. And, yeah. and Khalil looked a little angry, and and that little anger kind of sparked something. I, I said, like, yes, I like Khalil when he's angry. I think Khalil's got a chip on his shoulder. He's good and. Um, I mean, just went in there and, and, and laid out Saki in. I mean, who knows? These are two hard-hitting dudes, and it could have gone either way. But I will say this. Um, I, I, I like the way that once he delivered the blow that knocked Saki down, um, he was he was patient. In the way. I think he was a little bit sh- surprised. I thought, I thought it was shock. Yeah, I thought he was a little bit surprised. But I think once he realized, like, oh – I do think that he he did well to instead of like jump and make a mistake. God, man, how many fighters hurt somebody and then don't finish it the right way? He, I do think you're right. I think he was like, what? what? And then once he realized, okay, instead of just rushing and like just jumping out, he actually slid around past the legs, got out to the side, and then delivered those devastating hammer fists. Uh, and then again, you can see the edge when he got up. You know, he kind of he kind of gave it this body language like. Who was this dude? Of course I knocked him the fuck out. You know what I mean? Like, of course I did. Uh, I don't know, man. I Again, I'm always close to these people. It's hard not to. I mean, when you see somebody come up from the local scene, from the amateur scene, you love seeing them and being proud of them in moments like this. Uh, not cheering for a guy, but you've just seen their journey. You know what I mean? And you see their evolution. You see their maturity. And this was a big night for Clear Roundtree. I'll tell you what it also does is it shows that the small, the small four-ounce gloves are a bit of a double-edged sword. And I thought this immediately after the fight because I put a tweet out, a quote tweeted one of our, our colleagues, Brian Martin, who just was reinforcing um, Saki's incredible kickboxing record. And I, I sort of quote tweeted it saying, and that's in K1 kickboxing with the big gloves against the biggest heavyweights at the highest level. Saki with small gloves is going to be just terrifying. Mm-hmm. The trouble is, yeah, it, you know, the, it, they can be more clinical from a pure knockout perspective, but you don't have the defensive ability with, with the little gloves. <sighs> That's a good point. So, so he's used to having his hands up and being able to parry and all the rest of it. You got the four ounce gloves on, you can't. You That's can't. That's a good point. A lot because so, a lot of trainers say you have to be careful because it seems safer to spar in big gloves, right? Yeah. And it is. But you have to be careful because you start getting bad defensive tendencies if you spar in big gloves and they go fighting small ones. It's like when uh, I was showing my dad uh, MMA for the first time, and he was he was talking about the difference in how they, you know, he says, why why don't they keep their hands up like they're doing boxing? I said, well, a they've got to deal with the threat of the takedown, but also really there's limited, you know, there is limited sort of benefit yeah. to that. If you're going to defend, you, you have to bring your entire forearm right. up. Yeah, so, you know, there is there is certain defensive benefits, obviously, but when you're coping with takedowns and all the rest of it, you're better off with your hands a little bit lower. You can kind of hedge your bets a bit. But with the big boxing gloves on, that's like having two big pillows there. And, you know, a seasoned kickboxer is, you know, that's, that's drilled into him over about 100 professional fights. So... Now he's got the small gloves on. That 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 head of his is now an easier to hit target. So, and Khalil Roundtree found it, and uh, he didn't knock him out with the punch, but he certainly knocked him out once he was on the floor. So, you know, and there was a real shock around the arena. I looked along press row; people just had their mouths wide open. I looked around the arena; people had their mouths wide open. And uh, what it shows you is, 
kickboxing striking and MMA striking are very, very different. And uh, yeah, there is, you know, you can translate, there are translatable skills, but it, they are, they are distinctly different disciplines just as boxing is. I heard Adam Hill uh, from the Las Vegas Review Journal pointing it out uh, in the post-fight press conference. He was doing his little video afterwards. Five for five underdogs on the main card. That's amazing. That's crazy. All right, the prelims. Dude, we get, this could be like a four-hour show, and nobody <laughs> wants to listen for four hours. Uh, so let's just kind of burn through the prelims real quick, but I want to I want to hear your takes. Uh, Paulo Costa, go back. Paulo Boachinha, go back. Change the name. Picked up the TKO win over Uriah Hall. Again, Uriah Hall, um, a Vegas guy. Um, I was sad to see him lose, but I am high on Bohashinya, man. That dude is a specimen. He is a beast of a human being. This was a, a fun fight, a scary fight. Two monsters in there. Uh, first round was a little bit, you know, marred by some fouls. Uh, it was frustrating, but Uriah Hall kept his wits about him. You know, sometimes I think, you know, the mental challenges are the toughest part for Uriah Hall, and I thought that he responded well. Uriah Hall's jab was on point, man. He was just I, – and I, I thought this was going very, very well for Uriah Hall earlier as he was lacing out that jab. Um, eventually, Polo Costa – oh, man, especially as they are close to the cage, man. Just the power that he has is nasty. When he would dig to the body, when he would throw up top, I mean, he is incredible. Uh, I mean, this was just a, a – man, it was just a tense, tense fight. Paulo Bohashinya – Looks like a guy that's going to challenge for a world title at some point, maybe even be a champion at some point. Uh, Israel Adesanya, who fought on Friday night, said he wanted the winner of this fight. Dana White said, eh, we're not going to do that just yet, which I'm okay with. To me, this is very reminiscent of Nagano and Lewis fighting in Croatia where everybody wanted them to fight. It's like, hey, tap the brakes. We'll let them fight at some point. Uh, but Bohashinya has uh, incredible things on the horizon. But I will say I was happy to hear USC President Dana White Praise Uriah Hall as well at the post-fight press conference to say that dude is the guy that you know I thought on the Ultimate Fighter was going to be respect the hell out of him. Yeah, he's been through he's been through a few things during his UFC career as Uriah Hall, and he passed out on his way to uh, the weigh-ins. Oh, scary! Um, and it was so good to see him looking so healthy on the scale. He didn't just make weight; he made weight easy from 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 how he looked. He looked very healthy and and, and great on the scale. Uh, in a, and in a good frame of mind, we actually caught him after the weigh-ins, didn't we, on the way back? And he, he was laughing and joking and all the rest of it. Because when he came in to weigh in, because he, he, he was one of the last to weigh in, I think. Yeah. He might have been the last to weigh in. And he came in and saw all these worried faces of depressed. He was like, don't panic. It's all it's all yeah. good. So so we had that. But yeah, I, and as I completely agree with what you just said. And, and Dana said it as well. That's the best Uriah Hall we've seen in the octagon. I know the result didn't go his way. But uh, he look, he looked really good in there. Um, as for Paolo, the eraser Costa, that first round with those two, those two groin shots, it was as if he was going to erase Uriah Hall's ability to have any kids. Because um, you've been saving that one all night. You couldn't wait till we started talking about this fight. It was, it was. I, I, I thought it at a time, and I thought, <laughs> my goodness, what I don't understand, and I will never understand, is a second, like a repeat offense, a repeat offense. Surely the point should have come. You got to take a point. You right? got to take a point for the second one. Like, well, that's like him. saying that's like saying you get two free dick shots, right? Yeah. Like, just like okay, yeah, hit him once, I'll let you off. Hit him again, I'll let you off. Third time, maybe I'll take a point of it. No, because what you're saying, you're basically saying it's okay to cheat, right? No. Warning, then point. Whether it's grabbing a fence, whether it's eye poke, whether it's whatever it is, if you if you commit the same foul after you've been warned, 
point. That should that for me should be set in stone. It means it means the referees don't have to worry about interpretation. It's there, boom, it's done. Everybody knows where they stand. That said, Paolo Costa is an animal. Um and the, he I don't think he threw a setup punch in the entire fight. Um every punch he threw, there's a you get these you get these UFC promos, right? And they've got a library of Joe Rogan quotes. And one of the quotes is every punch he throws is to knock you senseless, right? That was Paolo Costa today. Everything he threw was to do some sort of horrific damage to your eye hall. And he was ripping the body and, and going upstairs to the head. And it was a, he, he hit him with a solid left hook, which dazed him. And then he was an absolutely sickening right to just, un, just, under the, uh, just under the armpit there, into the ribs. That folded him up like a deck chair and that was it, finished. It was, it was, it was vicious. That's the I used that word in, in in my report and I actually had to edit it because I'd used it three times in the space of a paragraph, but just because that was the word that I needed for each time. I was like, I can't say vicious every time. This is ridiculous, but that's what it was. That's what it was. He called out uh, Chris Weidman after the fact. I don't know if Weidman wants any piece of that, but now that uh, you know the title's locked up with Whitaker and Gastelum. I mean, if Weidman wants to prove he belongs, I, I, I like the matchup. Rafael Sunset picked up a name decision win over Rob Font. I, man, man, watching this fight, Sunset was so good. He stood on the feet with Rob Font in the first, tagged him, dropped him. Then in the second, he comes out right away and takes him down. Shows incredible jiu-jitsu. Font off his back was scrambling, moving, doing great things. And Sunset's top game was so good. I mean... He is so damn good everywhere, right? And and yet, I don't know if he's going to get a title shot after this. He's not. He, he isn't unless unless there's a late injury pullout and he's ready to go. He's not getting a title shot. I think I, t- I think I said that to you on the, on Messenger yeah. during the fight. The problem with with Rafael Asensio is nothing to do with his technical ability whatsoever because he's up. He, he's as good. He's as he's good so as good. he's good everywhere. He's good everywhere. He always he always comes in. Uh, in great nick, he always, you know, he doesn't come in out of shape. He always comes in fit, ready to go. Puts on great performances. His only loss that I can think of was T.J. Dillashaw. Mm-hmm. At, was it your two hundred? Um, but yeah, it was. It was. I think his problem is more of a PR issue. It's, 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 it's a PR problem. It's not. A, it's not a fighting problem. He, the, the the only the only thing you can level against him is he doesn't finish enough fights. Right. Right. That's the that that's if you're being like picky. Yeah. There comes a point where just, just you know, the pile of bodies that he's beating, has, you can't ignore them forever. And it was interesting. He, we, we spoke to him during fight, uh, during during media day. He seemed a little bit miffed when we spoke to him, a bit irked about his situation. And he was like, "I don't really know what I'm supposed to do. I don't even get interviewed in the octagon, right?" And and thinking about it, he doesn't get interviewed in the octagon so much so that <laughs> when when Joe Ro- when Joe Rogan got in there. The first thing that Ravra Sunzel said, it's great to meet you, Joe. This is the first time we've ever met. <laughs> which That was a great moment. Which, which, to start with, anyone who was just watching and, didn't, and didn't know would think, oh, that's, that's, that's nice. You yeah, know, yeah. He's, he's a fan, right? That's not what he was it saying. Was shocking. I mean, we, dude, I'll be honest with you. I, I didn't realize that. Like, I looked up on press row, like, kind of turned to the people next to me, like, is that right? Yeah. That can't be right. Yeah, and I... I, I I picked up. I noticed it because he'd referenced it when we spoke to him during fight weeks. So I've never had a post-fight interview, so that was him just having a little. He was just making a point. I've never had one of these before, 
I've never spoken to you before, Joe. That's He's true. been on pay-per-views. So, so yeah. And then, to to his to his great credit, he gave a very classy uh, post-fight interview where he state st- he stated his case, let people know he was frustrated with his situation, uh, but also made very clear that he's he's right up there at the top of the division. He's got a great record. He's beaten almost everybody, and yet he still hasn't had a go at the belt. And he directly called out to Dana White. What more do I have to do? And he was asked at the press conference, "What more do I, ha- uh, you know, does he have to do?" And Dana didn't really give a direct answer. It was kind of being he, in the right place at the right time. He almost, he almost <laughs> I, I think it might have been Mike. I think it might have been Mike who asked the question, Mike Bond. And uh, I think Dana almost half agreed. Yeah, he almost half agreed. But so I think, I think it's a salesmanship issue or a PR issue, which, I mean, you know, we go back to what we were saying about the whole Brock thing and and what sells and what doesn't sell, and you know. For as good as Rafael Sunsell is, if you put him as a main event on a pay-per-view card, the sad reality is he's not going to draw an enormous amount of buys. You could stick him on as a co-main in Brazil, if you wanted to, maybe put him on, maybe as as a as a co-main uh, underneath a Chris Cyborg fight or something. That 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 might work. That might be the ideal scenario in which you could give him a title shot. But T.J. Dillashaw is not going to play sort of co-main event level, I don't think, unless there's a Conor McGregor involved. I don't think so. I think he's he's sort of caught behind the eight ball, but he's he's technically excellent. He's fantastic. The FS1 prelims started off with uh, Jakar Close picking up a, a unanimous decision over Lando Venata, Curtis Millender picking up a decision over Max Griffin. Um, I gotta say, in this in these two fights, I like the winner and the loser in both of them. Venata, I don't know if there's a better. I think he's Jesus Christ. I think he's one three and one in the in the UFC now. I mean. His record does not belie the talent that he has. Jakar Close was on point tonight. Looking, I mean, looked phenomenal. We, you know, he's a guy that we had met before he got to the USC through through our through our friends at the MMA Lab and John Crouch. And I mean, he is fulfilling all of his potential. This was a great fight. Curtis Millinder looks dangerous, man. That is a scary, scary dude. Big, long frame, high kicks, knees, big strikes. I mean, he is dangerous. Max Griffin, a guy that you know flies under the radar a little bit, but but I, I love the way that he fights. I love how aggressive he is. It's just he was in a tough position. He wasn't going to knock out Curtis Miller. Like he had to execute perfectly, and he made a couple little mistakes here and there, and it ended up costing the fight. But um, I'll be honest with you, I thought both these fights were action packed. Uh, Close and Venata, definitely the more action packed out of the two, but Millinder and Griffin. The, the 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 style you know clash there made it fun. I thought these were entertaining fights. Yeah, Drakkar close. I was very impressed with. I thought I thought that was a good fight, especially against someone like Lando, who can can pull out some crazy stuff every now and again that is hard to read. Yes, everything that Lando threw, uh, close pretty much had a counter for, and he just he just seemed half a half a step ahead throughout all of the fight. I was really impressed with him. He didn't seem to tire. His conditioning looked on point. He just looked solid everywhere, and and. He was being coached every second of the way by Benson Henderson, who that man needs a lozenge sponsorship. His when his voice in. was echoing my through the goodness, arena, my man. goodness! I mean, it was a pretty packed crowd. I don't know. I think it was like seventeen thousand. Was it tonight? It yeah. was. It was a. It was a pretty good crowd, and uh, all you could hear during that fight was just his booming voice of Benson Henderson screaming at him throughout the whole of the fight. But yeah, super impressed with him. Curtis Millender is one of those who. 
looks like he's in the matrix, like everything around him is in slow motion. I mentioned it about Israel Adesanya as well. He's one of those. Um, Millinder's not at Adesanya's level, but he's he's got something there. And after the fight, I understand, he went backstage and said he wasn't happy with how he, how he performed. So there's more to come from him. I think he I think he wanted the knockout. And he, he was throwing stuff, but because Griffin is A, ridiculously tough, B, never stood still for the entire right. fight, Everything was just glancing off. If he'd have caught, if he'd have caught him flush with one of those flying knees, oh, uh, then you know, I think, I think we, you know, we might have had another highlight reel knockout in our hands. But uh, Griffin, I thought, fought pretty well. But I thought, I thought Millinder, I think he's got quite a lot of upside in that division. I'm looking forward to seeing just if he can just refine that a little bit. Uh, I, I think he could be really dangerous in that division. Dan Hooker picked up the knockout win over Gilbert Dorino Burns. This was a fantastic result as well. Dan Hooker, uh, listen, I've said it. I'm a Hangman fan. You know, I've, I love talking to the guy. I think he's a, a brilliant mind. I think he's an incredible analyst. I think he's a tough fighter. I think he nailed it, man. He he said that. I mean, he said it. He said Burns is going to have fallen in love with his hands. That's what he told us. And uh, yeah, it was it was your pre-fight interview and. It was dead right. I mean, I think Burns came out and and got tagged a little bit early, and then said, "Oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna swing back and show you that I can tag you." And that might have not been the best course of action, and it cost him here. Uh, but I but I don't want to lay this again. I don't want to lay this on the feet of a Gilbert Burns tactical mistake. Dan Hooker's a beast, man. He's the real deal, and he's part of this. Kiwi, uh, I don't know if you say a revolution, I guess this Kiwi uprising, right? I mean, a, a, a guy that trains with Israel Adesanya, I mean, he's the real deal. And yes, we're watching the replay right here. And it's crazy, right? I mean, Burns was throwing hard and Burns landed a big right. And even when he got knocked out, it was like the left hand was 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 just inches off as well. But uh, man, I again, I'm, I'm a Hangman fan and uh, I, I thought this was a brilliant performance. And it was funny also to hear his post-fight scrum afterwards where he was almost like pissed off. He's like, you know, I don't I don't put in eight weeks of training camp and travel halfway around the world to fight for two minutes. You know, I, I, I want to test myself. And uh, I think a little bit of it is self-promotion. You know, he's like, I'm hurting these guys. You got to put me in with better people. I think, you know, that's his subtle Kiwi uh, sell there of, of uh, you know, give me better opponents. Yeah, I don't know if it's subtle. It seemed pretty obvious to me. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, don't put me in with these guys. Someone's going to get hurt. Well, it's That's not quite Brock Lesnar saying the heavyweight division shit. No, no, he didn't, he, didn't, he, didn't, he didn't quite go that far. But to me, throughout the whole of this fight card, I think Dan Hooker's performance was my favorite performance of the night. Mm. Um, from talking, talking to him during fight week and from his previous... His previous uh, appearances in the octagon, we know we know what you can do. He was fighting a three-time jiu-jitsu world champion, Gilbert Burns, who had won his last two fights by clean KO. Mm-hmm. So this is a seriously dangerous individual he's in there with, and he would he said he would have had no qualms with going to the mat with him. Um, and uh, I thought it was all as close to a punch perfect performance by Dan Hooker and. Uh, yeah, I, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing how he goes because he, he, he started his UFC career at featherweight and alternated wins and losses for like I think it was six fights. Then he yep. he moved up. He decided to move up and he told he told me and Mike this week that um it doesn't necessarily make a huge amount of difference to some people, but to him he said it made him he could think much clearer. Mm-hmm. He had much more clarity of thought when he was in there. So as well as not being so uh, disheveled during fight week, 
it actually meant that not just from a physical perspective, but his main benefit, he said, was was his mental side. He was able to think more clearly, see things coming, react better. And yeah, he looks outstanding. And I'm looking forward to seeing just where where he goes next because he's in probably the most talented stat division in the UFC, the lightweight division. We were looking at the rankings earlier and saying, who who does he go in with next? It's 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 a tough one, but he does deserve a ranking. Uh, a ranked fighter next and you never know he might even get ranked in the top 15 after that yeah it was a great performance and I will say this a, a high ranking UFC official told me as the card was going on because this this fight did air on Fight Pass uh, that he was hoping to get that performance on the broadcast so more people got to see it uh, I don't know whether that happened or not but I thought that was interesting uh, just happened to be kind of a casual conversation during a break in the action I thought that was a hell of a compliment uh, Emily Whitmer picked up a decision win over Jay Moyle I said it going in I know a lot of people didn't care about this but in Las Vegas it meant a lot uh, this was Crosstown rivalry and the Crosstown rivalry boiled over even more than I knew uh, Emily Whitmire uh, flipping off uh, Vinny Magalesh, talking shit about him in the uh, the post-fight press conference. Basically, uh, Vinny Magalesh, of course, uh, everybody knows, a UFC veteran, has trained with both of these girls. Uh, and Emily, uh, who knew her job was on the line here, had basically asked Vinny, hey, you're not going to corner against me, right? And he, and he had said, no, absolutely not. I'm not going to corner against you. And then he cornered against her wow. and uh, pissed off Emily Whitmire. And so she uh, started the night with a, with a couple of double birds. Uh, big win for her, but I thought that uh, little side plot there was pretty interesting. So uh, fun night, UFC 226. Uh, Simon Head, I'm, I'm, I'm looking over your left shoulder, and I, I don't necessarily know if I should tell you this or not. But the sun's coming up. The sun's coming up over there. Uh, you have been up for approximately 24 hours straight at this point, so kudos to you for keeping – uh, your thoughts together because I thought you've done a fantastic job. But what we need to do at this point is go to sleep, send this over to Mr. Cold Coffee who was burning the midnight oil as well. Hopefully everybody will enjoy this uh, this post-fight podcast and then we'll uh, somehow get back to normal business. My wife, my kid are coming home. I'm going to get back to a normal schedule. It's going to be good. You're going to fly back. Hopefully maybe see England win the World Cup. It's coming home. I'm coming home and then football's coming home. That's what's happening. Goddamn right. And everything else... That's coming home. We're going to bed. Thanks for listening. And when I say we're going to bed, I mean in separate beds. You know what I meant, right? It didn't sound like that. Simon Head said it sound. I don't even want to talk about it. 